the barrel starts now and we are live good uh, afternoon good evening depending on where you're joining us from we're doing a saturday episode today um swally swede with the cusf uh we've got uh, michael stone with us today and then trevor from Slamfire radio and as always we got dave the president with us say hi dave howdy howdy so yeah i just want to take a moment here to acknowledge our sponsors uh big shout out to the Cabela's Outdoors Fund, uh, our headlining sponsor. Really happy to have them on board. Um, in addition, we have uh, Beretta, Vortex, Stisville Shooting Range, and Safari Club International. So, yeah, big thanks for all those organizations for sponsoring us and really lowering that barrier to entry uh, for the shooting sports at the university level. Um, so yeah, just some quick updates in terms of CUSF news. We got our uh, our fall semester charity draw wrapping up on the 23rd. So go to our uh, web store for your chance to win a pretty sweet little Cerakote B22. Um, those we had two new clubs uh, pop up this last week. So we got one out in uh, Atlantic Canada out of Halifax and one out in Brandon, Manitoba. So nice to see those guys get rolling and add to our community of university sports and clubs. Nice, that makes us coast to coast officially, right? Yeah. And how far north do we go? Do we have that coast as well? No, not quite yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so um, uh, Michael Stone, uh, who are you? Okay, so I... Uh... I've been involved with the CUSF for a couple of years now. Um, I am the club's manager or club's director, I suppose, mm -hmm. is my official title. Um, so I uh, help manage all the clubs and connect them with the CUSF. Um, and beyond that, um, I started the UBC club a few nice. years ago. Uh, that was really how I got into this. Um, and then in terms of shooting sports, I uh, compete in IPSC and 3-Gun. I shoot a little bit of trap and skeet. and other stuff on the side uh, so that's kind of my background with handguns for this uh topic nice and uh trevor you're slamfire radio yeah uh i've been uh, one of the founding hosts of slamfire radio since uh its inception way back in we were trying to figure this out a while ago um it's going on a decade now pretty much we're wow. uh the longest running pro gun podcast in Canada and right now one of the longest running pro gun podcasts period we've got almost uh, 400 episodes in the can already and um, I, uh, I everything I'm gonna say now is former because I recently had to uh, resign from all of my positions because I'm currently enrolled in a master's program but oh, yeah. uh, former match director at the uh, Rescuous Gun Club and uh, Pistol Section Coordinator. So I was, uh, while I was doing that role, I was the match director for SummerSlam, which is one of Canada's premier level three IPSC matches. Um, I was also the training coordinator for IPSC New Brunswick, where I would teach um, RO courses. Uh, I'm an IPSC range master, and I also would mentor and train new black badge instructors as well as facilitate black badge courses myself put on ipsic style shooting courses uh with my former co-host matthew mcclatchy i've done some training on my own as well taken a bunch of classes with uh canadian production champ alex burdett and um right now the only shooting i'm doing is ipsic if and when there are ipsic matches happening either indoor or outdoor or outdoor our outdoor steel challenge matches will be starting up in the Fredericton area here soon. They're just very fun, informal club level style steel challenge matches where there's some steel static steel plates that we shoot at just to keep the cobwebs knocked off during the winter months. So I'm looking forward to that starting here very shortly. Well, holy fuck. That's quite the resume. <laughs> I, I kind of condensed it. Yeah, you, you, came, you came highly recommended from our new friend, Kelly from, uh, from last episode, Kelly, Kelly Slamfire. Never heard of her. <laughs> oh, that Kelly. Okay. Oh, we got. Okay, so we're doing a dry. We're doing a dry humor episode. Okay. Gotcha. It's the only humor I have. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, you're you're an East Coaster, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so on the yeah. comment section here, Nikki says SummerSlam best Ipsic match in Atlantic Canada. 
Some would say Canada, but who might argue with Nikki? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, so today we're talking about handguns, which I think is kind of the end of the spectrum when it comes to firearms ownership. Most people were talking last episode about rifles, and usually that's where most people get into firearms is with a rifle. Uh, now, the, the the first couple of episodes we've done so far has very much been the entry level, getting into guns, getting licensed, uh, buying your first gun. We had a gun store owner for that. We had a firearms instructor on for the other part. So for the people who don't know, IPSC is what, uh, Michael? IPSC, it's a uh, competitive shooting sport um, that uses handguns. There are a number of uh, different divisions um, that you can shoot depending on what kind of handgun you own and what your budget is. That's really a big part of it. Um, obviously, Trevor knows probably 10 times more than I do. I've just been shooting IPSC for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the, uh, yes, you have a question, just open to it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just playing with a new feature. I'm okay. saving that question. Please keep talking. Okay. Um, yeah, IPSC is a, it's a great sport. Um, it's dynamic shooting. So you're uh, shooting on the move. Um, it's got a somewhat complicated scoring system. You have to take a course beforehand called Black Badge. Trevor is an instructor. Again, much more knowledgeable than I probably am. Um, so yeah, there's a bit of an upfront cost, which makes mm -hmm. it kind of challenging for some people to get into. Um, but uh, it's really rewarding and it has a huge skill curve. Like the um, starting from a new shooter to somebody that's been doing this for decades is really incredible to see the difference. Yeah, yeah. So I'll let, I'll let Trevor finish in a minute. Dave, do you want to field the question here? Um, on our events open to yeah events open to non-students so i guess that depends on um the club uh, or whether it's a cusf event for cusf events um in our competitive stream they're only for students if you're shooting in our shotgun or, or rifle competitions but um yeah some of our clubs they'll do uh they'll have like a range day that's open to the public um like high school students will come out or alumni um just people, general members of the public that want to come connect with uh, some of the newer generations. So um, it, it depends, like not, not our competitions, but potentially some other uh, events. Nice. Thank you very much. Uh, Trevor, so if you want to carry on where Michael left off on the IPSC and the Black Badge. Sure. Um, so IPSC stands for International Practical Shooting Confederation. It's the international governing body that provides us with our guidance and direction and rules and um, our, our documents for our, our programs um, with regards to specifically our officials. So you've got your International Range Officer Association, IROA, and they provide the documents to the National Range Officer Institutes. And um, then those organizations nationally contact the provincial organizations give them the course materials and they put on put on those materials um the the sport of ipsic is shot in almost 100 countries around the world we have different disciplines we have the handgun discipline the rifle discipline the shotgun discipline there's also mini rifle which is a an ipsic game for 22s and then there is actually a, a, a discipline called Action Air, which is a IPSC rulebook for airsoft in countries where you're not allowed to actually own civilian uh, civilian ownership of firearms. So predominantly here in this country, although shotgun, IPSC shotgun and IPSC rifle are catching on, we actually had our, I think our first IPSC shotgun nationals occurred in Ontario maybe last year or the year before. But no question, globally, the dominant discipline is handgun. Mm -hmm. And in, ha in the handgun discipline, there are multiple divisions. And the division is the type of gun that you're using and where it fits. Your division is your gun, your category is your age and your gender. And so you've got the production division, which is... Basically, the gun is unmolested, unmodified factory gun. Now, originally would have been, would have been intended for like Glocks and M&Ps, but IPSC is a game. It's a sport, and the rules are written in such a way that manufacturers build a gun to suit the rules. So you end up mm -hmm. with a race pistol, 
that is thousands of dollars in the production division. So you could have one of those fancy CZs or fancy tenfold wheels or like what my sponsor, Calgary Shooting Center, provided me with a Phoenix Redback. And um, it's based on the CZ platform, but it's $4,000. So the production Crazy. division is not necessarily for newbies or cheap guns. Just because yeah. it's it production division doesn't mean that it's Glocks only. You know what I mean? Yeah, last episode on the rifles, we talked about that as well. And they had the like the production, the, the stock rifle, but there was also a dollar amount to that. But I guess there's yeah. no such thing here. No, what there is here is that the companies have to produce X number per year to be on the production list. Yep. It actually has to be on the production list. And there's very few uh, modifications can be done to the gun. And, and almost all of the parts, with the exception of the sights and now even the trigger group, have to be oem other than that yeah so the only the only parts that are not allowed to be oem is the trigger group and the sights everything else has to be original equipment manufactured um and then you've got production optics which is the same gun with a red dot on it then you've got your standard division which is pretty much 40 caliber pistols mm -hmm. and they're pretty much always based on a 1911 2011 style platform single action is another big uh determining factor of the standard division where production is either striker fired or double action single action i like your again your cz's your berettas um we've got after that uh production production optics standard and then open no one cares about revolver but i guess that's still a thing there's there's some more dry humor for you <laughs> It's classic too. Classic, yeah, of course. Yeah, I forgot about classic. Classic. I was yes. a classic shooter for years until uh, Calgary Shooting Center said, "Hey, what do you think of this new fan?" Actually, I saw it. I was like, "I'm going to need one of those," and yeah. sure enough, they sent it to me. And all of a sudden, I was a production optics shooter. I kind of said it on a whim. I hope they're not listening, but it's been good to me. Um, I won the provincial title with it, and uh, yeah, so I still have my my classic gun. But those only two divisions I have left now is actually classic and production. That's still that's still a lot just for I was saying just for handguns, but that is a lot. Um, Money I wise, you mean? No, well, it's so many different. Uh, oh, divisions. divisions. Yeah, there are too many. There are too many divisions. Production, production optics, production optics light, which is really big in Europe. So that's like basically for the plastic guns. I think in Canada um, they haven't recognized that yet, though. It's but. and well, that's the beauty of it, Michael. It's really yeah. uh, the divisions that are offered are at the discretion of the match director a lot of people don't know that mm -hmm. i as a match director would never offer production optics i think it's yeah. ridiculous personally production optics light sorry yes. i think it's ridiculous i'm not i'm not listening if you want a participation award go somewhere else i'm not going to give you an award because you decided to register in production optics light and you were the only one no you bring your ass over to production optics and shoot like with the rest of them or don't i don't care i'm not offering it so yeah so a lot of people in canada don't bother offering production optics light again it just dilutes the field what's the point of having a division with two or three guys at a club match right absolutely um and this yeah, is run so, oh, sorry i just wanted to yeah i want to get us out of the trenches a little bit and just mm -hmm. a little bit more general so this is a, is this more common in certain parts of canada or is this uh is there like a national competition are the provincials to qualify how does it work um every province has a section mm -hmm. and to shoot ipsic matches you have to be a member of your section if i want to shoot ipsic matches in nova scotia i have to be a member of ipsic new brunswick it's anywhere it's the same thing like people who join ipsic ontario can shoot in bc ipsic matches are only open to ipsic members mm -hmm. so you join the ipsic organization in your province in your province, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can do that. You have to take yeah. black badge. Yes. Okay, so I was I was going to hand it over a little bit to you, Michael, because uh, Travel's always been doing this since the Stone Age. Um, Michael, yeah, I mean, you how long have you been how long have you been ipsicking? Uh, about two three years now. Um, yep. Again, I'm afraid to say something wrong because Trevor's here. Um, That's right. If yeah. you were on my show, I'd correct you. Here, I'll just kind of smile, take note, okay. move on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So black badge. It's a it's a two day course. Um, so all you need to show up is a pistol, about six magazines, about 300 rounds of ammo. Course costs maybe $300 for a weekend around there. Um, and that also includes your first year usually of um, your IPSC membership. Yeah, Michael, um, you're not saying anything wrong, but a caveat yeah. to that is 
although it's an it's a national program. It's yeah. a, a black badge, by the way, is only in Canada. Other countries don't have a black badge. Some are starting to come on board. They're copying ours. Um, even though we're all provided with the same black badge material, every province seems to administer the program differently. So when you're talking about two days, it's a minimum amount of hours. Sometimes they stretch it. Uh, what The way we do it here is it's coursework Thursday night, Friday night, or sometimes a really long six hours on Friday, 10 hours on the range on Saturday. A level two match is required. And there's debate over that. Um, again, how the program is administered varies from province to province. So if you're listening and you're in BC, it might be, it's going to be done one way. If you're in Ontario, it's going to be done another way. If you're in, in New Brunswick, it's going to be done another way. Just because it's supposed to be done the same way or it should be done the same way. There's a lot of varying opinions on that too. The point I'm taking a long time to get at is check with your local IPSC section typically they have a training coordinator or a black badge coordinator and find out what their specific requirements are because they they do vary from province to province the amount of time you have to put in when you actually get the black badge and when you and how many rounds and, and all that good stuff varies i like our system we go classroom friday night qualifiers on saturday level two match on sunday here's your pin here's your certificate you're no longer my problem go yeah, that's right. good. I, th I think we should discuss this kind of from a uh, student's perspective, though. Yeah, so, so starting out, Michael, you, you got into IPSC because... Yes, so I actually had a friend named Edward who was into IPSC, and I discovered, I, I searched far and wide, and in the university of about 40,000 people at UBC, I think there's maybe about two or three people with a black badge. It's, wow. it's a very small number of people, especially people between ages, you know, like 18 and 22, which are mostly university students. Um, it's, it's a very small number of people because there's a lot of stuff that you have to have access to to make it happen. Like number one, you really need a car. It's a hard thing to do if you do not have good access to transportation. Then you need, it's a chunk of cash. You need about $1,000 on the low end. That'd be tough even. You need, I'd say like $1,500 at least to really get into it, to buy yourself a half decent handgun, the holster set up, mm -hmm. you know, a case of ammo plus a, you know, the, th the two or three day course. Um, so it is an investment. And then on top of that, you know, you don't want to have your black badge course be the very first time you shoot that pistol. You want to probably put at least a thousand rounds through it before. Um, the instructor that taught me said that you want to be able to hit a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper at about 25 yards consistently. If you can do that, you're probably good enough to start shooting up sick. Um, other small things like just learning how to load and unload your handgun, clear jams, that kind of thing. Um, I've definitely seen people who, who show up and have issues with that, which is a little embarrassing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, the Black Badge course, is, it's, not, uh, it's not a driving course. It's the driving test. You need to know how to shoot before you get there, right? Correct, yes. yes. You're, you're, it's a certification course, not a training course. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, well, I already know how to shoot. Good. Come prove it. Right? Yeah. We're not there to teach you to shoot. We're there to certify that you already know how to handle your firearm safely and can be accurate with it, basically to prove that you're competent enough to shoot IPSC. Now, that whole philosophy is changing because back in the day, IPSC was used to give people who were already into handguns a place to use their handgun. But a lot of people now, believe it or not, get their license just so they can go IPSCing. Right? Mm -hmm. And so the philosophy of the purpose of the black badge course at the national level, the conversation is happening about we are not retaining people because we're not actually training them. They're supposed to come to us knowing how to shoot and they don't. And then they struggle through, then they struggle through a match. They suck. They get discouraged. They quit. So maybe, yeah, no, that's, that's the thing, right? Like results is, is motivating and, and being crap at something is, is really disheartening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Speaking about so, being, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So yeah, so for the black badge, I guess to clarify for our audience, is it kind of just like a, a certification to guarantee that level of safety during the the match, like an IPSC match? It's, yeah, and, it's two part theory, theory and practice. You have there's a written test, an open book written test that you have to pass. So you have to show knowledge of the rules, and you have to show competency with your handgun and accuracy. Yes, and, and the third part, too, is actually going to a match, shooting the match, and not being disqualified, um, which sounds easier than it actually is. Um, I have seen people DQ themselves on their very first match, 
it's it's a tough thing. And that's typically what safety issues. Yeah, safety issues. There's, there's common ones. Um, breaking ninety with the handgun or reloading with your finger in the trigger, that kind of thing. Or moving. Right. Moving is a big one. They forget to take their trigger finger out of the off the trigger and out of the guard while moving. Like yeah. the, that one and the two Michael set are, are what get the newbies every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, any handgun experience? Um, yeah, just casually plinking with my uh, 1911. I mean, last time I was with Vancouver in Vancouver, actually, uh, Michael taught me pretty much everything I know in pistols. <laughs> nice. I went for a range day at Poco. That's good. Yeah. Oh, up on the, the, the what's it called? The Poco District, blah, 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 that one there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the Port Coquitlam District Hunting and Fishing Club. That's my home range up That's on Burke uh, Mountain. Yeah, mine too. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. I, just joined no, the, I just joined this fall. That's good. Okay. You should meet up. It was, it How was, far are you guys from Abbotsford? Sorry, Dave. No, go ahead. Uh, well, for me, I'm in North Vancouver. Abbey is a little far away from me. I have been there. It's a beautiful range and I would yeah. love to be a member if it wasn't like a two hour drive. That's, yeah. A lot of the BCIT guys uh, head out that way. I know they carpool out there when they go shoot. They do. Yeah. yeah. It's a great range. They're expanding it, which most ranges can't say they're doing. Um, mm. They can only yeah. go one way. They're kind of stuck against a mountain, but you're right. It's, uh, absolutely amazing range. When I go to Vancouver, normally I, you know, pre COVID, I would go to Vancouver every two years and North Vancouver is where we stay. And uh, I usually take a trip out to Abbotsford uh, every time I'm out there because that's Rod's Rod Biltakis range. So we usually find our way out there. But yeah, it's a it's it's a haul from North Vancouver. It's it's a day trip, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Another great one I'd mention too is the uh, Thompson Mountain Sportsman Association um, in Pitt Meadows. Yeah, they're uh, a great little range. Um, they're in a very narrow valley, which allows them to have excellent uh, backstops on both sides. So you can have ranges facing both directions. Nice. Uh, that was, those were the two I was considering, and I ended up joining the other one. Yeah, but they have a really awesome Ipsic group, and they used to have a really great uh, speed steel uh, event about once a month, but some sort of internal politics have, have shut that down. But anyway. Cool. Uh, we had a question come up here I'm going to go back to. This is from Matthew. Who would like to field that one? I can do that go for it um yeah so generally the instructors will have a home range um so you can just go on google and look up say your city and black badge course and you'll probably find someone and they have a deal with a range that you'll have to go to them i suppose if you had enough people if you had maybe like six people you could um get them to come to you but that'd be kind of a hard thing to do yeah well, typically it's um it, again, it's one of those things varies from province to province. Um, I would always recommend starting with the section, the IPSC BC or the IPSC Manitoba or whatever, and they often have a schedule of where the classes are going to be and when and how to register. That's true. Go to the IPSC website. They have all the information. Yes. Awesome. All right, so let's move on to the, the tool of the trade, handguns. Um, Dave, you mentioned, uh, what was it, 911? <laughs> Yeah, 1911. Close, close enough. No, sorry, 1911. <laughs> yeah. 1911. <laughs> so I already had I had my follow up joke already lined up. I was gonna say that's very much the SKS of the handgun world. Oh, jeez. Uh, I'm disagreeing. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's an early design, so in that sense, yes. But mm-hmm. in terms of the accessibility, in terms of price, I would disagree. Yes, you can buy a four hundred dollar, three hundred dollar Norinco 1911. That's a hot piece of garbage, mm. um, but anything decent is going to be a lot more than that. So, in terms of maybe we're talking about like uh, entry level handguns, is that yeah. kind of where we're we're going with this? Well, I, I want to hear more about Dave's piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a Norinco, exactly the model. <laughs> but no, I don't know. She shoots all right for a uh, three hundred dollar fucking price range. So, you know, I've had some of them points, do. But I mean, I, again, I don't. I mean, like, maybe the, the, the metal is good, right? Yeah, like um, I worked part time at a at a gunsmith in the evenings, and uh, we started tuning them up. We'd get our hand, we'd take Norinco 1911s and and tune them up. And I mean, I I tuned one up for my godson so he could get into Ipsic, and that thing runs like a top. So the thing is about the Norinco 1911, 
they're a you want to recommend them for a beginner simply because they're affordable but the 1911 requires a little bit of knowledge on the user's part or access to someone with knowledge because out of the box they often need a little bit of tweaking and tuning especially the Norinkos because you know they're made by child labor in in China so they're kind of a crapshoot if you can get your hands on one and check it out ahead of time um they could, look it's 1911 it's been around since oh i don't know 1911 there's no secrets left like there are guys out there that know everything about that pistol in and inside note and how to make them run flawlessly so i used to be an avid 1911 hater i was team glock and now it's like yeah, I still own a Glock because Glocks are like assholes. Everybody has one, but so are 1911s. They're just, you can get them to run and they can run great. And you can't buy a Glock for 300 bucks. But yeah, you can get a 1911 for 300 bucks. You can buy reliable magazines. They'll cost you some money. And that gun will serve you well in Ipsic. And the thing about 1911s is because it's been around so long, so many people make them. There's, the aftermarket support for the 1911 is, is, is phenomenal. But the other thing is, there's no mil spec for 1911. So the parts, you buy any connector for a Glock, it's going to drop in and fit. There's no fitting required. There's no gunsmithing required. Can't say the same for 1911. You have to know what you're doing, especially when you start messing around with springs. It could be dangerous. So yeah. in that regard, they're not necessarily a good beginner gun. But a Norinco 1911 is so bloody cheap. Buy one if you have access to some Ipsic guys that know how to work on them. Yeah, so it's going to be talking about sort of affordable entry-level handguns that we actually would recommend yep. to a new student shooter. Um, a few that come to mind for me um, is the M&P 2.0. I've seen lots of those out there. They seem to work well. Um, CZ, all across the board, makes great guns. The Shadow is incredibly popular. Shadow 2, a little bit more money for production division. They make some polymer amazing. guns. So amazing. Yes. Um, great ones. Um, the uh, Chinese, Turkish stuff, you know, you want to be careful with. Um, definitely kind of a mixed bag in terms of quality. Mm -hmm. And it's what gets me about those Turkish ones and the Chinese polymer ones is just, are you going to be able to get parts? Yeah. So you're much better off if you want to go polymer, get the Glock, get the M&P, because you're going to have access to parts and warranty and stuff like that. The Turkish Gersans and stuff, super cheap. But you better you better look into whether or not you can get replacement parts if something happens. It's a shotgun think, warranty at that sort of thing. I think Trevor's working on getting himself a Glock hat here. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. I got all the Glocks I need, which is just one and it's locked up in the bedroom. There you yeah. go. Uh so Michael, what what handgun did you start with? So I started with the CC Shadow. Um great gun, really enjoyed it. It's uh I've put maybe ten, twenty thousand rounds through it and mm -hmm. I've had great success. Um I guess the other, that was kind of the first big step was getting the pistol, and the next step really is getting the reloading press, which is something that we could also talk about. Um, if you're going to shoot Ipsic, if you're shooting high volume handgun, the next step is to start making your own ammo because that's mm -hmm. really your biggest expense. I've spent, you know, a couple thousand dollars in pistol, but I've spent much more than that on ammo. Right. Um, yeah, one of the BCIT guys, he's big on reloading as well. He, we should almost have a reloading episode. How about that, Dave? Certainly could. Yeah. Save, some, save some money. That. Save some money for the starving student shooter. Yes, um, especially now. Um, it's hard to find presses, and it's even harder to find well-priced nine millimeter. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if you're again, it's about a thousand dollars to put down to get a decent reloading press in the low end. Um, so it's another big investment, but it pays off in the long run, most mm -hmm. certainly. And you can make ammo that's perfect for your gun. Um, in Ipsic, there's something called Power Factor. They actually measure the, uh, the velocity times. Weight um, divided by a thousand. Yes, that's correct. And so if you have a chronograph and you can load your own bullets and vary your powder charges, you can tune your ammo to be just perfect. Some people cut a little bit too close. Um, I'm sure you've seen that it matches. Somebody yeah, shows. especially when you go from one end of the country to the other. Oops. You're either super hot or not making it. Yeah. That's another issue. Um, but that is sort of a Ipsic specific thing. Um, mm -hmm. If you're just starting out getting a handgun, don't feel like you need to go out and spend a thousand dollars in building gear. Yeah, and and every once in a while, you like I picked up a secondhand square deal. So it's a Dylan press. It's handgun only. It uses yeah. proprietary dies. 
Uh, it's auto indexing, no case feeder, but it makes better ammo. Well, it doesn't make better ammo than my Dylan 650, but it's more consistent and problem free. Like I can routinely load a thousand rounds of nine mil on my square deal without a single hiccup. I don't know if I've ever loaded a thousand rounds on my 650 without a hiccup. It yeah. seems like the more you add to the press, the more likely you're going to have a stoppage of some kind. So I, I, you know, I ditched my 650. I wasn't reloading. Like, 650 if all you're going to do is handgun is overkill if all you're going to do is handgun just get yourself a dylan square deal and don't look back because for handgun it's really all you need you can make if you take your time you can make 100 rounds in 11 minutes the dylan 650 is faster when it doesn't stop but if you average it out if you're not getting stoppages on the square deal you end up making more ammo faster on the square deal yeah. You tune it specifically to the ammo for your gun, and, and that's it. You don't look back. You can just literally leave it set for years until you have to change powders for some reason. That's great advice, definitely. So those were a lot of words. Uh, one I did understand was 9 millimeter. Is 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 that the preferred caliber for a... Comp <laughs> I would say it's definitely the most... It's definitely the most popular caliber in all the handgun games, whether it be IDPA, USPSA, or IPSC, simply because it's the minimum allowed. You can't go lower than 9mm, and it's the most affordable. It's at the point where I, I can't even be bothered to bend over to pick up 9mm brass. When I was shooting 40 and 45, I'd be like pushing old ladies and children out of the way to get my brass. But with 9mm, I'm just like, hobos bend over for 9mm. Like, Even worse than that, 38 Super. I see people hunting the Ipsic match for their 38 Super cases. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. They even put like little, like, they like have a little Sharpie and they'll draw lines on them on the sides. They know, like, this one's mine. Don't take this case with uh, the purple yeah. squiggle on it. I used to mark my 40 cases because uh, I started with a Glock 35. Why? Because in, in at the Rest of Goose Gun Club, Everybody was shooting standard. Everybody was shooting Glock 35. It was one of those things. It's like, this is all we know, so this is all you're going to know. And the same. Everybody was reloading on a Dylan 550, and I'm like, but the 650. And they're like, no, you don't need it. Okay, I get it. You I have the It's a great press. It is a great press. I believe the 650 was a greater press. I ended up getting that. And then all those guys who had the 550s came over to check out my 650 and were putting their 550s for sale. But like I said, I've since gone backwards to the uh, to the square deal because I'm not yeah. progressively reloading rifle anymore. So you don't need a, I don't need a 650 anymore. So anyway, yeah. um, so to answer your question in a long boat way, yeah, nine millimeter. It's just uh, it's the cheapest ammo that we can use in our game, right? So yeah, is there any? Go ahead, Michael. I was going to say it's definitely a consideration too for some other um, divisions in Epic. So if you think like, oh, I want to get into standard. Don't, don't go into standard thinking you can shoot 9mm because you're not going to be competitive. You're kind of forced to shoot 40. Um, and if you like, I mean, open is probably something most new shooters wouldn't even consider. Um, and yes, some people do shoot 9 major, which is its own crazy little thing. I did for a year. Good time. <laughs> yeah. Greasy little thing is right. Yeah. yeah. No, there's no need for a 38 Super anymore. No. But, uh, you're living on the edge, though. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Are there any uh, competitions for the 22? 22 is something we came up a lot when we talked on the rifle uh, episode. And Handgun, yes. no. Handgun, yeah. Speed steel. Yeah, not IPSC, but yeah, speed steel for sure. Like if you're going to show, so specifically IPSC, no. But yeah, there are, mm -hmm. we, we use, um, we have an annual steel challenge match and we follow the USPSA steel challenge rule book. It seems to be, the most standard it's very very popular in the united states is the nationals every year and the thing is like it's the same eight stages they're published you can watch them on youtube you can learn the the fastest way to shoot every stage smoke and hope and roundabout and outer limits and and uh, speed option anyway it's a heck of a lot of fun and yeah mm -hmm. there's definitely 22 rifle and 22 pistol divisions in that sport that's probably i don't know michael what you think but i think steel challenge is the gateway drug to action shooting yes it's, absolutely it's safe because there's no movement there's 22 so it's affordable but you're getting that you're getting that action shooting itch and you're getting introduced to handgun shooting sports and it like that's then the next step after that will be 
either IDPA or USPSA. That's kind of like, that's kind of what I was asking, yeah, because it seems like it's quite the jump from from not shooting competitively handgun to shooting competitively handgun. So I was wondering if there was a middle ground, maybe not directly IPSEC, but like you mentioned, there are other organizations. Yeah, you jump in the Steel Challenge with a twenty-two. And then the following year, you you do steel challenge again with a nine millimeter. Well, now you've got your holster, your mags, your belt, your mag pouches. If you buy that kind of gear for, mm -hmm. you don't need that for steel because if you have to do a reload in steel, you might as well just pack up and go home. But if you get like IPSC or USBSA style belt holster mag pouches for steel challenge, then you've made your entry into IPSC or IDPA or USBSA that much easier. Yeah, so definitely and, if there's any students out there listening, um, I would just say that, say your budget is only $500, you can get yourself, you know, a Browning Buckmark, you know, a thousand rounds of 22 and a few mags and boom, you're shooting Steel Challenge. No black badge required, so you're saving money there. Yeah. Probably don't have to join anything other than a gun club because when you join IPSC, you play your you pay your black badge, and then as Michael said at the onset here, typically your black badge fee also includes your first year's membership in your provincial sanction or your mm -hmm. provincial section. But if you just want to shoot steel challenge matches, typically they're club level matches or outlaw matches. They're not governed by anybody, so you don't have to join some association on top of your all your other fees. Yep. Yeah. Well, sure. and I mean, to, to bring this full circle to the CUSF, that's actually what we're looking at uh, implementing in the next year as uh, a Steel Challenge CUSF division to get students kind of into that if that's uh, the road that they want to go down. So The steel targets can be expensive if you're going to get AR-500 style ones. Like we had uh, X-Metal basically copy um, some American company that produces sets of steel challenge targets, all the 10 inch plates, the 12 inch plates and the rectangular plates. Um, cost us eight grand to get all eight stages at once. Some people just buy enough to make four. They shoot the first four in the morning, stop for lunch, set, use the same steel, rearrange it to make the next four. And, and they do it that way. But if you want to get just 22 grade steel, then you're only ever going to shoot with a rimfire. It would be a lot cheaper. Just cardboard, basically. <laughs> doesn't ding very good, yeah. but uh, yeah. What would be a good entry level 22? Oh, like Michael said, Buckmark. Yeah. Buckmark, okay. Yeah, so something I would say specifically is do not buy a 22 pistol is based off like a 9mm or larger handgun. It's usually a bad idea, especially like 9mm, or 22 1911s, anything like that bad idea of course somebody out there's me saying oh i have one and it runs well yeah i had good luck with, i had good luck with my gsg but i know some people not so much yeah so like a dedicated 22 handgun like the browning buckmark or smith and wesson victory they have a very light uh, you can't really call it a slide but the piece that moves is very light and very small it's just enough weight with the spring tension to move with a 22, whereas 1911, you have to move that whole slide. There's way more surface area for things to go wrong. And that's made out of some lightweight material. Obviously, it can't cycle a full weight steel government size five inch 1911 slide. There's no way. So they make it out of basically pot metal, aluminum, yeah. and they crack and they don't last. You know, um, Sig Mosquito slides cracking. So Michael's 100% right. And it's something that was designed from the ground up to only ever be a dedicated 22 pistol. If you look at the pros shooting steel challenge typically a match will be two days they'll all shoot rimfire on day one and then go to their full power handguns on day two and they're not shooting um like he said a gun that was supposed to be a nine millimeter converted to shoot 22 they're all shooting mm -hmm. something like a volkortsen tuned dedicated 22 with a red dot on it or, or what have you yeah there's also the, the ruger mark series which the volkortsen is based mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. that's a good one too so you mentioned red dot. So getting into the competition shooting or carrying on with competition shooting, you've got you've got your your production model. You want to move up. What are some things that you should look at adding next to your gun if you want to advance in in IPSC or similar organizations? I mean, personally, I would call twenty two. People call them training wheels. You know, it's a uh, it's a little bit of a cheater move. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know, I think it. Yeah, no, but 
training wheel. I'm quite happy with my training. <laughs> I, I'm I'm looking. I I've got rifles only right now, but I I talked to a friend of mine a year or two ago about some recommendations for 22 handguns because I'm going to try and keep it all organized. And uh, the mm-hmm. only caliber I'm going to move up from now would probably be the six and a half mil Swedish. Uh, but uh, for for my everyday firearms, or however, yes, I would definitely yeah. suggest um, not to start with a red dot handgun. Um, I've seen people make that mistake. You want to learn how to shoot iron sights first. People always say the same thing about rifles and then go on to shooting a red dot. Um, it is, it you want to, you want to, like Kelly brought up, it's what we talked a bit on the rifle episode. We want to learn the fundamentals. You want to learn the shooting stances. What the, it doesn't really apply with handguns, but we talked about the use of tables when you shoot rifle. And, yeah. and you don't want that to become a crutch. You want to learn the fundamentals. And then no, yeah, I disagree. To absolutely. <laughs> the fundamentals are more important for handgun than anything else because you have you don't have any supports whatsoever um trigger press is more critical in a handgun because it's you know a bad trigger press on a handgun is going to show on your target a lot more than a bad Mm -hmm. press on a so yeah fundamentals are important in all of the marksmanship games for sure um yeah, yeah. Your, I say grip and trigger press are the number number one and number two things um, yeah. for shooting a handgun well. That's really everything. Um, yeah, and by grip, I remember I, I had to qualify on a handgun when I worked for Corrections Canada, and I remember the slide bit me a couple of times because my grip was off, and that's something you you do once or twice, and then you start focusing a little bit more on technique. And yeah, that's right. Slow, yeah, slowing things down a bit more. Yeah, that's more of an issue with older guns too, um, like the. Um, to think like like a, like a high power for example you hold it too high oh, yeah, that, that hammer is going to yeah. get you yeah uh, this was uh um p2000 smith and wesson i think okay and that's that's his service handgun for for corrections canada still i believe but yeah i know it, it bit me a couple of times and it's like i don't like that let's see where really? it's going handgun when we shoot a handgun we're concerned with two things accuracy and speed the accuracy comes from sight alignment and trigger press and the speed comes from grip and stance and those are your fundamentals mm-hmm. and then it can break them down a bit more but in, in in general terms accuracy and speed accuracy sight alignment trigger press and then speed grip and stance if you're not mm-hmm. holding it correctly then it's going to recoil more than necessary which is going to slow your shooting down you want to shoot quickly you don't want the gun to recoil any more than absolutely necessary and to control that recoil is going to come from how you hold it and how you stand mm-hmm. when I, I was a mechanic for a little bit at, at harley and uh one of the guys that helped train me and said first get good then get quick yes. we say the same thing in ipsic well for we say safe good fast mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. You, you, another good ipsic saying is you can't outrun your misses you know no yeah. matter how fast you go if you're not getting the hits your score is not going up that's right and you can't miss fast enough to win doesn't matter yes. how fast you blaze that stage if you didn't hit anything it's just Looks great on Instagram, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you know who's an in. You know, some some of the Instagram people just post their videos. The guys winning post their videos and their scores. Yeah, certainly. Good thing to look for. All right, so uh, uh, this is um, a question I usually ask a lot of people here. What's your next gun? What's your next gun, Trevor? Um, handgun or handgun, handgun specifically, or whatever you currently. I don't know if you have a version of kelly's four million dollar rifle <laughs> no. uh, but uh if you or whatever gun you currently shoot the most if you have any accessories you want to bolt onto that no both my um ipsic pistols are are completely tuned to the to my needs um if i was going to get another handgun right now competitively uh, or just collector or whatever I would, it would be competitively like i okay. had a whole pile of guns that never got shot i got rid of them all a little while ago and i just completely got down to like the core these are my competition guns these are my hunting guns that's it all the safe queens are are gone Mm -hmm. um if i was going to get another gun right now it would be a limited custom extreme um it's a standard division ipsic pistol in 40 cal made by tamfoglio it is the most ergonomic comfortable gun i've ever owned um the one that i got was an early run that was tuned so eric Rafael was a world champion who 
shot for Tanfoglio and he had an extreme line of optional parts for the gun. So you'd buy the gun, buy his line of parts, put them on the gun. Then he got the brilliant idea. Well, why don't we put all my parts on the gun now and sell it for a thousand dollars more? We'll call it the extreme line. And he mm-hmm. would actually tune the guns. So I got an early one. I'm a tinkerer. One of the, everything I do, I modify. I, I customize. I love working on my stuff. doesn't matter whether it was my archery stuff or my guns. Does, I always customize my stuff. It's the only thing I've ever owned in my life that out of the box, I was like, it's perfect. There's not, there's not a thing to do to it. Oh, wait, it's got a green fiber optic on the front. I prefer or red. I prefer green. That's literally all I did. I've bought this gun, sold it, bought it back again, sold it again. And the guy who has it now in Newfoundland, he knows like when you decide you don't want it anymore, let me know. I'll buy it back again. So we, we had a we had a well traveled shotgun as well on the shotgun episode. Yeah, yeah. Think, uh, was that your start? Out, is yours, Dave? No, you it called? started as Dean's. Is Dean's and then went uh, off to uh, yeah, hmm. keeping so, it in the family, I guess. Yeah. Uh, My Michael, yeah. same question. Yeah. Our... I don't know. Cut off, Dave. Oh, we're getting a little, we're getting a little lag here. Did, did you have something, Dave? No, you cut right, it. Go ahead. Oh, okay, so Michael, next, next, next handgun. Uh, I'm pretty happy with. Uh, so I have a uh, production setup and I have a classic setup. Um, so production is a Shadow, and yep. the classic is a Dan West 1911 in nine millimeter, which I really enjoy. Mine's a Dan Weston too, PM9. Yeah. yeah, they're really great guns. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I feel like I don't need any more Ipsic divisions. Two is more than enough. Yeah. Um, so. I kind of thought about getting a, a revolver and maybe 357 just to kind of reload some hot 357 loads and just blast just seal at the be range. That, be that guy at the range. Though. Yes, to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's probably nice. next for me. Yeah. So what should I get? First handgun. Looking at 22 mil. 22. I, I would say Buckmark. I've owned a couple of them. Really enjoyed them. Um, the Bruger is also a great choice, but you definitely want to get one of the newer ones. The older mm-hmm. ones are a total nightmare to disassemble. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Browning Buckmark, three, $400. So you can find something decent. Um, I would highly recommend getting one with a fiber optic front sight if you can. I find that makes a huge difference, yeah. um, in how well you can shoot them. Cause one of it's just like, like, like a black sight, like black front post and black back is terrible. Yeah. Um, sorry. So it was the Browning, what, what Ruger was it? Um, so there's a Ruger Mark IV. Four of them, yeah. Mark IV. It's a new one. Um, and what makes them really nice is it's just one button at the back and the whole top of the slide pops off. Um, whereas the old ones was this crazy like levers and pins that you had to. You know, I would, I've heard stories of people trying to return their Ruger Mark III or Mark II to the, to the store mm-hmm. in a bag. They were like, look, I have this gun. It's in a bag. Take it back. Because yeah. <laughs> they can't get them back together. Um, cool. I'll have a look at those. I like yes. I like having options because then I can read and compare both. Yeah. Whenever Absolutely. I'm looking at buying something new, I type in Ruger Mark IV. Like I go to Google, type in Ruger Mark IV versus, and I'll see what Google auto populates. See what else everybody else is buying. The only thing I would add to that would be if you knew you were going to get an M and P, or you knew you were going to get a Glock, or you knew you were going to get a 1911. You can get the 22 version of all of those, mm-hmm. and the ergonomics will be the same. The holsters will be the same. But again, keep in mind, they may not necessarily run as well as these purpose-built 22s. The yeah. M&P 22 is not bad. I have no experience with the Glock 22. The 1911s, the GSG, I got lucky. I know some people not so much. They're, they're, my, my 1911-22, the uh, GSG, it took a thousand rounds of hot ammo and then it would run anything. But the first thousand rounds were were definitely needed. To, I like to I like the it. idea of purpose built. If I if I buy a twenty two, it would just be a recreational one. If I ever mm-hmm. do get into Epsic, I'd buy something bigger specifically for it. But right. right now it's just recreational shooting. Um yeah. Uh, that was right, almost we're coming up on fifty minutes. That's uh, that's a lot of ground covered. Ipsic Ipsic seems to be the dominant handgun sports organization, right? Globally, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Certainly, there's also three gun, which we didn't get time to talk about, um, and it's kind of you know what? we got we're we're not we're not in a rush here. I think we just lost Dave. Um, um, okay, we can just very briefly touch on it because yeah. three gun is in a bit of a hard spot right now in Canada. Uh, unfortunately, mm. but yeah. it is. Well, it, it came up came up when we talked on the shotgun episode, I believe. So it'd be good to carry on here. Yes, um, you'll see that CGN right now is flooded with three gun shotguns. Everybody's trying to get rid of them. 
it's, uh, it's a little bit of a sad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally watched a shotgun that I put almost $2,000 into being sold for about half that. <laughs> I, I, I really, I don't understand why people were dumping them when, okay, you lost your rifle. So you still got your pistol. So we got two gun matches. Yeah. We got Ipsic shotgun taken off. Why are you dumping your, your three gun shotgun when you could just join Ipsic and start shooting Ipsic shotgun? The thing is, um, again to the black badge they wanted to develop a shotgun black badge because some people had no ipsic experience had didn't have a restricted firearms license but wanted to shoot ipsic shotgun matches so they were like well go take a black badge well that's a handgun course you want me to take a handgun course so i can shoot a shotgun what is this government run this makes no sense so Anyway, but for those of us that have black badges that shoot three gun, like just take your three gun to a shotgun match or, so, or an outlaw two gun. So what would be the big difference between an IPSC and, and uh, an IPSC competition or whatever you want to call it and the three gun competition? Okay. Rules so it, sanctioning. Yeah, there's, there's tons of difference, but if we're just focusing on handguns, which is just the, yeah. the focus of the show. So in IPSC, we're talking about like five, six different styles of handguns, whereas in three gun, there's really only two. So you have what's similar to an IPSC open pistol where you have compensators and red dot sights, kind of an anything goes mm-hmm. type gun. Um, and then you also have sort of, sort of like all that stuff minus the red dot. So it could be similar to like a IPSC standard gun or even a, all the guys are choosing the production guns from IPSC in three gun, which is a great option. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's good. Again, keeping the kind of a cheaper, cheaper alternative here. Yes. Yeah. I- in, in in the three gun rules that I've seen typically don't divide the manual from the semi. If you're shooting an Ipsic shotgun match, they do separate them. You you run a pump gun, you're in the manual division, and then there's manual standard. And then if you run a semi-auto, then it's semi-auto, and it could be semi-auto standard or semi-auto open. But um, out here in three gun, whatever shotgun you bring it's going to be based on whatever pistols in your holster. If you have an open pistol, doesn't matter what your shotgun is. You're shooting an open. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Michael, if it's been like that for the three gun that you're shooting. Yes. Yeah. We're shooting based on uh, three gun nation rules in BC. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there was a really great match called the, uh, the Lone Butte um, BC redneck three gun shoot. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, three day match uh, up North in BC, which was a ton of fun until it got shut down. Um, but uh, hopefully it comes back. Um, How come it shut down COVID? Yeah, it was supposed to run this year. It was sort of a one-two punch of like COVID and then the OIC. Yeah. And then it's like, what are we going to do? I don't know. It's hard to imagine. Maybe you could run three gun with a, a 22. I have seen some people trying to do that. Um, but it does, I think, take a little bit of the fun out of it. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I won't do it. Like if I got to run a 22 in a three gun match, I'm going to find another game to play. Yeah, it's, it's a tough sell. I mean, there there are lots of clubs that have put on two gun matches in the past. Like when yeah. we would do a three gun match, not every stage used all three guns initially. Yeah, but our matches were taking like twelve hours to complete, so we cut back on the amount of stages, and then we would cut back on the amount of stages where you actually used all three guns in the same stage. So we'd have like a shotgun rifle stage, or a shotgun pistol stage, or a shotgun rifle stage, or a shotgun only stage. So the transition into two gun it to me seems like a no brainer, grab your pistol, grab your shotgun and let's go have a two gun match. And what I like about shotguns in a two gun or a three gun is typically reactive targets, a clay pigeon that goes up in the air, clay pigeons that you bust steel that you knock over shotguns, very versatile. You can do slugs on paper. You can do buckshot on paper. You can do birdshot on steel and birdshot on clay. It's the only firearm that we take to an action shooting game where you have so many different targets that you can use. Certainly. Yeah, I think the only downside, at least I've heard some match directors that are hesitant to run a pistol shotgun match is because they feel the shotgun takes more time to reset. Um, and really... It sure um, does. Yeah, which is a bit of a challenging thing. So that's something, again, to new shooters, if you haven't shot three gun before, um, IPSC, usually you're looking at maybe six, even maybe seven stages in a day, something like that. Um, three gun maybe four five stages in a day yeah. um they're really slow that's yep. kind of the downside of three gun yep yep yeah. 
all hands so I've on got, deck. So I've got uh, a, a follow-up question here. I'm going to split it one one for Trevor and one for Michael. I like very much having um, an antagonistic view on, on discussions. So if somebody were to get into handgun competitions, what kind of a person would choose IPSC? And that's for Trevor. Um, someone who likes formal, structured, organized, um, something... With, it's bigger. Uh, it's a bigger organization. It's prestigious. It's it, it's international. It's in it's in more. Ipsic is is uh, in more countries around the world than any other shooting sport, any other action shooting sport. Mm -hmm. Like you can't compare it to to the shotgun Olympic sports. But yeah. as far as action shooting games, Ipsic is the dominant sport on the planet for action shooting games. It's been around forever, and. Um, Again, it's it's very structured and organized. Officials are are trained to a standard. It's a sanctioning body. If your club holds an outlaw match and there's an accident, best of luck. We've had um, people injured in Ipsic matches. Quick and dirty little investigation. All of our officials are trained by an international standard. All of the competitors are trained and had to prove that they're competent to be here. And, and it's like it checks all the boxes and then they just leave you alone. Mm-hmm. And a man died in BC. Ipsic is moving yeah. on. If someone gets killed at an outlaw match that wasn't sanctioned by anybody, you could lose the whole club. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah. Incredibly was so. Uh, a few years ago, I uh, probably don't want to go too deep into that, but uh, I mean, it was, we should say that it was the guy's own fault. It's not like somebody chopped somebody. Uh, no, no, exactly. In fact, he, was, he was incredibly yeah. experienced. Yeah, was, we'll, yeah. we'll say it was accidental. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The gun the gun got caught up in a prop and, and he lost control of it and while trying to regain control, unfortunately shot himself. It's yeah. it's just a one in a bazillion fluke accident. And the lesson the takeaway there was guns are drop safe. If you drop your gun in a in a competition, take the DQ, let it hit the ground. Yeah. It's a little the chances of it going off when it hits the ground are far less than it going off if you try and catch it and hit For the trigger. So, uh, uh, so Michael, what kind of person would go for a three-gun competition? Uh, three-gun is definitely a little more sort of fast and loose than uh, IPSC. The rule set, um, so there's some American organizations that create rule sets. A lot of matches here are kind of outlaw, and they just sort of make up their own rules. Um, yeah, so it can vary a lot in terms of what guns are used. Some people even allow PCCs as well, so you can shoot 9mm rifles. A pistol caliber carbine. Oh, okay. like a rifle shoots nine mil bullets or whatever. Oh, okay. Yes, so that can be allowed in three gun as well, which is pretty fun. Um, mm -hmm. Well, but, benefit benefit for the nine mil reloader. Absolutely, that's something I really enjoyed as well. I had a CX four until I do not have a CX four anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a bigger investment too, which is challenging. There's a lot more things that can go wrong. Um, it's lower pace. It's a lot more of kind of shooting the shit too, I find, which is kind of fun. It matches Ipsic. A lot of people can be really uptight. Like they don't want to share the stage plan. Maybe. Oh if God. Yes. That's the one thing I hate. Um, where range like, lawyers. Yes. Those kind of people, um, who are like, Oh, you know, way too serious. Yeah, yeah. Way too um, serious. See, right, right there. I'm almost leaning more towards three gun just off of that. Yes. Uh, year, more laid back, no question. Couple of years ago, I used to compete in Highland Games, and and Highland Games, even though you're competing against these guys, you'd always see people out in the field giving each other's pointers because they're drunk. <laughs> well, there's there's that too. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of carryover between the Highland Games and I think a lot of rugby players, which is also a sport I enjoyed when I was younger. But uh, yeah, no, it's very much uh, guys are out helping each other, even though you're competing against them, you're doing it just it's for fun, right? Even if you place last, you're still out doing the same stuff everybody else. Um, I like that. Anything okay? Anything else with three guns? Sorry. Um, yeah, I guess the uh, it's it's just there's more stuff to learn. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely wouldn't suggest people start with three gun um, because you really have to know all that Ipsic stuff to begin with. Plus um, shotguns. Now you have to learn how to reload shotguns on the clock. Um, mm -hmm. It's like quad loading. That's a whole other crazy thing. I miss um, my typhoon. Yeah, and then there's like mag fed shotguns, which are sort of not a thing anymore um it's it's a bit of a mess so yes three gun if you can get into it if you can find a club that's doing it in canada would highly recommend um, but just be aware that now all of a sudden you're needing like three thousand four thousand dollars worth of gear instead of maybe like a thousand so it's yeah, yeah. It's oh yeah I mean, yeah it's crazy so most, most people go ipsic them Three gun. You'd be surprised. A lot of guys in Alberta, because they don't want to jump through the Ipsic hoops, 
they got the oil money. Yes. They they go three gun right out the gate, man. Okay. And uh, you know, but yeah, you're, you got a two thousand dollar rifle after you put an optic on it. You got a two thousand dollar shotgun. You got a thousand dollar pistol. You got to feed all three of them. You best be reloading. Even I was reloading shotgun, mm-hmm. pistol, and rifle. It's it's the only way, unless yeah. you're wealthy, you know. Reloading the shotgun. That's a dedication. Um, we just got a we got a future host or future. Uh, Guest recommendation here from Kelly. Well, um, I was going to do it too. I was going to say, don't talk about three gun with us. Wait and have Adriel on. But yes. we went there anyway. But Adriel's the man. Like that's his. Adriel is to three gun in Alberta what I am to Ipsic in in New Brunswick for sure. Yeah. Okay. We'll no, I just so I, I throw that in there a little bit of promotion as well for our for our uh, fellow podcast. Um, so I just finished my beer, which is usually in my queue. Uh, we just rolled over an hour as well. Is there anything else either of you guys would like to uh, on the topic of handguns? If you need one, go to the Calgary Shooting Center. There you go. All good. All good, Michael. All right. I'm going to give a final shout out to our sponsors because we lost Dave at some point. So I just want to th- say thank you to the Cabela's Outdoor Funds. This is uh, when you go to Cabela's, to Cabela's and you round up your shit. I just had one beer. When you go to when you go to Cabela's and you round up your purchase, that goes to the uh, Cabela's Outdoor Fund, uh, which is something that they help use to help organizations such as ours. Uh, we're also um, sponsored by Beretta. Beretta, they've been around since 1526. Uh, Vortex, uh, veteran-owned from America, joined the Vortex Nation, uh, the Safari uh, Club International, and also the Stittsville Shooting Range. Uh, I want to thank all of those for helping make this podcast uh, possible. Uh, I'm going to hit uh, end here, a podcast. Uh, please stick around. I'm going to talk to you guys in a bit. And I just want to say thank you to all our guests and uh, all our viewers for chiming in. Uh, have a good night, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll meet again on the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs>